Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is the podcast where I talk to interesting people about the internet and creativity and the work that they do. So today's guest is Hannah Jewell. She is a pop culture host and editor at the Washington Post. She is also a former senior writer at BuzzFeed and she became known there for her humour writing. She has written so many funny articles for BuzzFeed. Just type her name in and you will be able to binge on her brilliant writing. She also presented BuzzFeed's live uh, election night show last year, um, which was watched by nearly 7 million people. She's now an author too. She's written a book called 100 Nasty Women of History. It's all about brilliant and badass, completely fearless women that people should know about, but actually have pretty much been deleted from history. She's written about these women who were deemed too nasty for their times. When you learn about the very few women in history, it's hard not to wonder why they seem so prim and proper. And the truth is that the mostly male historians kept glossing over the real details of these women and and leaving out the truth of what they did because I guess these women threatened their idea of what a woman should be like. Uh, The women in this book are intelligent, they are ahead of their time, some of them overthrew empires, um, but some just kind of wanted to have fun and they were, on the whole, not really accepted at the time. It's a really great book. I used to hate history as a kid and I used to hate my history lessons at school, but reading books like this um, is a sort of history that really you want to kind of talk about down the pub. Like it's just fun, interesting, scandalous stories. And um, Hannah has made this book really, really funny as well. It's in, it's in her voice and you learn a lot. So I really wanted to get Hannah on the podcast to talk about some of these women, why she wrote the book and why we need to keep using the phrase nasty women. So I hope you enjoy this episode and here it is. Welcome Hannah Jewell to my podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you. Um, we're, so we're sat in a meeting room in Hodder uh, Publishing. A fine institution. Oh, yeah, it's lovely. Um, actually, I wanted to start by saying on the way here, I realised it's November, kind of exactly a year on from... Yeah. the election and stuff like that and I was actually in America when when that all kicked off and I was like oh my god yeah well in fact I had this idea to I wanted to write a funny women's history book before Trump coined the phrase nasty woman mm-hmm. um and as soon as he said it in that debate um I just thought ah oh, yes that that's what the title is that ties together what these women have in common mm-hmm. which is often not a lot other than the fact that they've upset societal norms in some way and that Bad men called them nasty women in, in so many words. But um, yeah, the, the year the year on is very strange. I actually just moved to D.C. to start a job at the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hasn't... And every day is crazier than the last. And I think especially the as we're recording this, uh, the indictments are coming mm-hmm. and things are very dramatic even more than usual. And um, I think that what's been interesting about this year since the election, people and especially women who might not have thought themselves to be activists mm. until now, where they feel sort of the intensity of threats to their bodies, I would say. And uh, so I think I didn't know if the phrase nasty woman was going to stick around or if it would become annoying or if it would be too like commercialized white feminism style, let's put it on a t-shirt. But I thought I will stick it on the book and... <laughs> Yeah. See how it does. That's really interesting, actually, because I feel at the moment we're in this time where something catches on and you don't know if it's going to... Like, I feel like we're in this backlash against the girl boss 
Oh, totally, yeah. And yeah. actually, I I still quite like the website, but it's like, not, I think being a nasty woman and having that in your bio and stuff is still, it still says, like, I'm an activist. It does. I hope so. Yeah. And I think it's been, um, it, it's been, there's a, a collection of essays out right now called Nasty Women, which mm-hmm. is feminist essays under this banner. And, and people have loved that book, too. In fact, Margaret Atwood has come out and endorsed that book. Wow. And a lot of people think that she's endorsing my book because of the similar titles. Yeah. And I'm well, kind of... Was that one uh, crowdfunded? Um, I think it might have, yeah, it was. And it was inc- done incredibly well. They got a ton of money and and it's um, and have a lot of like huge endorsements like that. Yeah. So I kind of want to put on my book. Some Several people have mistakenly thought this book was endorsed by Margaret Atwood, but... Uh, you take um, it. <laughs> yeah. But no, they're, Margaret, they're, they're are very, you out there? <laughs> they're very different though, I guess, in, oh, yeah. in one's essays. And yours is incredibly researched. And I wanted to ask you firstly about that, because obviously it's a hundred women in history who have been forgotten over time for being badly behaved. And I love the range of stories, real stories, like the one about the pirate. It's kind of these stories that you think we should know about these. I felt weird that I didn't. Oh yeah, same. And I like when I started researching, well, I, I had written uh, versions of this book for BuzzFeed UK where I used to work. Uh, the first one I wrote was called women who gave no fucks historical women who gave no fucks and oh, I, I read that yeah, yeah and the reason and it did so well and I was like oh wow people are really have a have a hunger to read things like this and it was quite swearing quite visual because writing online you could I could just zoom in on great photos and like equivalent yeah. of a sassy Victorian expression <laughs> which is usually quite bored looking but in a kind of fun way um and I had written that uh, article was inspired by for Christmas a few years ago I had a very like I had a lazy stocking stuffer gift from my dad of um, little playing cards with women of history in them and he's like you like women and I'm like that's true dad thanks and, was, and I was going through them and I thought like when you work at BuzzFeed or in any kind of online publishing you, your your thirst for content and ideas is, is, is insatiable and so I thought okay I'll do it I'll do a post and I was looking at some of the women in this pack and and it was a very, it was, I think it's a, a pack done by the Library of Congress. And there was a bunch of women I'd never heard of, and then some sort of usual suspects. And then I was looking into more about who I wanted to put in my BuzzFeed list, and finding out that some of them were actually like eugenicists, or like slightly Nazis, or kind of deeply racist, even for their times. And um, thought, well, I would like to make sure that that post was more diverse and um, inclusive and international and that's the same approach to this book. But you asked me about research. I so I guess that helped because you'd already researched quite a bit for the post. I had, yeah. Um, but that was I think 12 women and I did another one that was another 14 um, and there's some of those women in this book but what was really cool about those posts and I recommend you go look at is the comment sections are a bunch of like women saying my favourite woman no one knows about is this person, this person mm-hmm. people from all over the world saying the most important cool woman in my country is this woman and um, oh cool and then I did another post and then they <laughs> that happened again and um, when I sat down to make the list when I was pitching this book to publishers it's definitely changed since then, um, but I benefited from a large network of historians. Uh, my boyfriend is a historian and uh, who teaches at York University. Mm-hmm. Hi, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Brainy. <laughs> all of all of his friends are also, you know, uh, historians with PhDs who specialize in different parts of the world. Both getting inspiration for who should be included, who shouldn't be included, because who turns out to actually be a baddie or in whatever field is. is 
I don't know, hackneyed to talk about X, Y, Z in whatever place. So was it important then that the nasty woman that you included had to have a good agenda in the end? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, it's, it's kind of, it's not a great way to do history. If you were, if I, if this were an academic book to me to apply my 2017 morals to the past, but I think that there are so many women that have lived that it was, I was always very fascinated to find who are women who had a very keen sense of justice and the equality of people and a, and a democratic mm. sense in their souls, even hundreds of years before other people did. And so my, my more ancient women are often sort of like violent in a funny mm. way <laughs> or, or Mur- violence and murdery. And, the, and what you're supposed to get from them is like, wow, these, there are, have been women baddies too. <laughs> there have been conquerors and sort of brutal emperors who, who are, who are women. And, um, and then as I get closer to the present day, it's like, here are women who, who were incredibly good, whether or not they succeeded at what they set out mm. to do. Um, looking at the, the, uh, there's, there's a lot of British and American women in the book, um, since I'm British and American and felt more comfortable writing about them. I, I was really interested to look at suffragists in the U.S. who who weren't like the Susan B. Anthony's, for instance. And there was so much tension in the 19th century for black women suffragists trying to advocate for the end of slavery and for voting rights for black Americans versus a lot of the white suffragists who were willing to throw them under the bus in order to try and get votes for women before, for instance, the 15th Amendment would be passed, allowing mm. black men to vote and in this zone, there's so many... Ida B. Wells, a friend of hers, she's in there too, and she's a bit more famous, but like... Yeah, because in the Suffragette film, I think that was one of the backlashes that was like, (laughs) Carrie Mulligan and her white, gorgeous friend (laughs) saved the day, and it was like, yeah, there's definitely some some things missing in that film. Yeah. Big time. So I figured, like, all of these, we should learn about all these women, Mm -hmm. but a hundred women is felt like a lot while I was trying to research about all of them and trying to get my facts straight about all of them, which was very difficult and a lot of time in the British Library and also listening to podcasts and also watching documentaries and also just talking on the phone to people who know about these things. Um, But there are, it's actually not that many women and you don't have to make many sacrifices (laughs) in or you don't have to overlook a few things about bad ladies, but Mm. um, it was kind of, it came together and, and then I, sorted them kind of after I had picked the women and tried to put them in these different chapter headings, which was also stressful to do. Cause mm. I was like, if I put someone in my dangerous writers category, does that mean they're not a genius? But they yeah. are. And like, they're everything. this and they're everything. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you essentially kind of wrote the piece of Buzzfeed and then I guess got the book deal after afterwards. It was actually, no, I, the book deal came when my agent found me because of something I had written about, Theresa May's cabinet that was how to tell apart all the white men in Theresa May's cabinet that was right after she came to power and, and that for, there was a photo released of her with her with all these like mm. stuffy men and and that's my favorite one of my favorite things I've ever written and it and I and my agent's son had seen it passed it to his dad who emailed me and said would you like to do you have any book ideas would you like to meet and I was like yes I have so many book ideas thinking he would be like Let's meet in two weeks. But he was like, great, let's meet tomorrow morning. And oh, at this You know when cafe. someone's keen when it's like, and I was like tomorrow. Oh, no. And so I had to come up. But this was a thing I had wanted to do just because it was really fun to research. The reaction had always been so 
positive and, mm-hmm. and joyful and also like angry and also like an emotional reaction yeah and like people being mad they don't know about this and um these women but also a yeah, so I just, that was the first idea I told him. He was like, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But did you get any, talking of like angry people or like responses or anything, I found that when I went on the Women's March here in London and I had a sign that said um, nasty woman on it, I did get a bit of like weird, you know, some weird tweets from weird men, as we all do. That's yeah. fine. And of course, I love men. But shout out to um, men. I like men are great. <laughs> You're like, so cute. I love. Yes. I love how I have to always say like I love men. By the way, and just go around bashing them. But do you find that something like this, unfortunately, is still like quite threatening to like a certain group on the internet? I mean, inevitably, um, I I've been writing on the internet about women, about misandry, about like sort of. You, there, you. I could say a lot if us we didn't have written things there that that brought on the trolls, and I've mm. definitely been targeted by some of the worst men of Twitter who have big like Nazi followings who like pick a woman each day and like today we're trolling this woman, mm. um, and but you get very, it doesn't it doesn't hurt though it does it for, it's definitely jarring at first and I used to actually mm. train interns at BuzzFeed really? and they would even on very innocuous things there's always gonna be some man being like. You wrote about coffee. You should die. Mm. <laughs> and, it, and then yeah. like, this is weird. And Sometimes it's like the smallest, weirdest yeah. thing. We are like, you should be angry about something else. I've written actually. One of the worst times I ever got trolled was was other than this like top Nazi of Twitter. It was um, when I said something rude about Calgary, Canada, kind of in a throwaway line in a piece about Ted Cruz because he's from Calgary and. Canadian, like oh Canadians are known for being very nice, but these Canadians were telling me I had been like shat out of my mother's vagina and <sighs> should die in multiple ways. But the but the point is that, and what I would tell these interns is that, like, yeah, it's awful. And if you do feel unsafe or like things are a little too like, oh, this person seems to know where I live, that there are ways to deal with that and security systems you put in place. But for the most part, it after a while it just doesn't hurt anymore and I, I get all kinds of crazy trolls but um and it's not the same way as being in in the not enough in the public eye that people have really targeted me for being me in a very sort of consistent way yet mm-hmm. um but it just doesn't hurt when when someone who's obviously awful hates your book I'd be like yeah you do because mm-hmm. you suck yeah. if like someone, it's a compliment that exactly, you don't like it yeah. if someone who I admired and respected didn't like it for whatever, I'm sure, legitimate reason, then I would be like, oh, no, I'm sorry. And uh, so uh, criticism from stupid dudes mm. who are being left behind by history. <laughs> yeah. I love the cover of, of the UK version of the book because it's like the, what do you call it? Like the, the head. I of, guess the head. It's not really a bust. Like a, like a bust. It. It's kind of a it's bust. It's a bust. There's a bust of a ancient Greek woman, shall we say, like a a sort of white statue of in marble. I should actually yeah. ask them where they got this image from. It's amazing, I don't know. but it's but it's almost like how many busts are there of men who didn't really do that much? Yeah, like guys who just to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I say this in my introduction that like there's so many women in this book who we should know so well that they would make bad passwords, and that especially because I was. I, I went to school in, in the US and then did, I did grad school here in the UK, but um, <laughs> there's, I say in the introduction, like there's just people, especially in like American high school, you learn about um, 
who who just kind of like were there during like the Revolutionary War, like they were just in the room. Um, so I write the introduction about how John Hancock was one of the founding fathers, but he he the reason he's famous to like your average American high school student is because he had a really over the top signature mm-hmm. that on the Declaration of Independence, and, and how for instance. There's a museum about Jack the Ripper, and and actually one of the the guys at Hutter who worked on the book uh, used to do a Jack the Ripper walking tour. I just found out Ian Wong. And so so there's at least like a fascination about these these men, um, mm. and we we should have that sort of same vague, sort of not quite there knowledge about women. And and one of the women in my book who especially in the American context, um, who I wrote about and was one of the people who I was most like, why why don't I know this woman back to front is is uh, Phyllis Wheatley, who was the first published black person, man or woman in America. And she was enslaved when she was published. She wrote poetry. Um, she was in correspondence with all the, you know, great thinkers of the day and Benjamin Franklin, all those kind of bros. Mm. And, um, <laughs> and she sort of could, she, was taken to the U.S. as a child from West Africa. She learned Latin, Greek. She memorized the Bible. She right. just, you know, cash. <laughs> like, and, and was just such a profound genius who then was, yeah, would write letters and was holding forth on liberty and freedom and religion and all these things that you, you learn about in the context of a bunch of men in a sweaty room in Philadelphia when you're in American high school. Mm-hmm. Just thinking, like, she was worthy and even worthier than so many people I did learn about in high school of being considered a founding mother, mm. I guess. And there's, and in, she was in fact kind of, it's interesting the way, well, the way that, you know, Donald Trump called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman, um, Phyllis Wheatley's nasty woman moment was that Thomas Jefferson was really like bothered by her. Thomas Jefferson wrote that Phyllis Wheatley's poetry was beneath the dignity of criticism. But she said while criticizing her poetry in some essay of his. Um, and he, the, the thing about Jefferson is that he was obviously a slaveholder. And he, someone like Phyllis Wheatley, who had, who was just such an obvious genius, kind of broke through the whole ideology that the US was founded on, that there should be liberty and freedom but only for white dudes. And she was there. And, and the reasoning being like the supposed infor- inferiority of different races. And um, she was there beating all the guys at their intellectual games. And in fact, when she, she was a kind of a ce- celebrated figure in Boston society, probably in like a gross, like fascinating, like, ooh, we're so fascinated by this, this enslaved woman. Mm. Um, she couldn't get a publisher in Boston. She came to London and got one here when it was published, she was still enslaved. Finally, she had enough fancy friends who kind of shamed her her owners, which is just a weird thing to say, <laughs> uh, into freeing her finally. Um, and she actually died kind of young, but after having produced a huge body of work. Oh and what's so cool about her is that she, when she was in the UK, she, she talked a lot of shit about <laughs> the hypocrisy of the American revolutionaries making a claim for freedom and liberty that was obviously only for them that's one lady (laughs) but like that makes me think as well that although obviously there's like a hundred amazing women in your book it's like how many more Mm -hmm. are out there who were just like behind the scenes pulling the strings and and maybe even 
writing things and men putting their names on it. Like, um, I loved Hidden Figures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That idea of someone rubbing out someone's name and putting their own on it. Yeah. I, and I bet that happened loads. In the sciences especially. And, and I have two women who were in the Harvard Observatory who were astronomers uh, in the early 20th century who did all kinds of work for no money, no recognition, and who women who had huge discoveries and did a lot of the like brunt work is it brunt work or grunt work <laughs> there were women at the harvard observatory who did a lot of the i don't want to say busy work because it's highly technical but the the kind of what was deemed the work that was deemed in those days as the women's work because it was seen that the and and astronomy was there were so many women astronomers but they were kind of relegated to literally the party planning in the harvard observatory offices um, and to doing like cataloging the very like tedious, difficult, precise work as they were called computers, actually, the woman who would compute the stars. Ooh, um, Annie Jump Cannon is in the book and she was one of those women who cataloged hundreds of thousands of stars in her day by looking at their pictures of their spectra. And she was she was deaf, but she had hearing aids. But when she was working, she would just take out her hearing aids so that nobody would bother her. <laughs> and she could just glance in a very like savant way at these very spotty images that look like nothing. They look just like a dirty mirror to my eye, <laughs> as I am not a brilliant astronomer yet. Um, and she could just glance at them and knew wow. everything about this, these stars. <laughs> Women could do the the tedious work, and that men would then sit around and be like oh, maybe that's what it's all about. Stick their names on that work. Mm-hmm. And and there were women in this observatory who worked themselves to death. And it was like who may got ill and who were paid basically as, as factory workers at that sort of a rate in the day being told, you should be very grateful that we've hired you at all, mm-hmm. um, who who were refused entry into any jump can and wasn't allowed to join a big professional society because she was deaf, which doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Cecilia Pengpashin was was prevented from, uh, I think, joining the National Academy of Sciences because because of her, the quote was, her domestic situation, meaning she had a husband and kids, and she would bring her kids to the observatory while she wrote her groundbreaking scientific discoveries. Isn't it weird that we're, like, in 2017 and there's still, I mean, there was a a protest that went on uh, at the weekend, um... It was like March, the of, March the, of the Mummies. March yeah. of the Mummies. And it was, I think, I, I can't remember the statistic, but that, that number of women that every year get forced out, really, and made to feel like they can't come back when they have a kid. It's just Yeah. And it's weird. a thing that I knew happened, but the sort of older I get and the more friends have kids and see that happening. And, and that's in the UK. And now I've moved back to the US where it's there's no statutory maternity mm. leave and it's kind of just up to your individual employer and then it's like something that you can count in weeks as opposed to here. Yeah. Um, that it is, it's sad to then mm. see, oh, this woman a hundred years ago was dealing with the same thing mm. and she, she, she kept going and she, she managed it, I guess. She didn't, um, the president of Harvard said he would never admit a female faculty member as long as he lived and then he died and then she wasn't admitted. <laughs> And she she was recognized by her peers, but there's no reason that, that this shouldn't shouldn't be one of the scientists that we hear about. Because I, yeah. I love and, and the mathematicians too. Like we always hear about Ada Lovelace and she's awesome and I'm like love her and I love her kind of weird, mad, rich child thing and it's a great story, but there's there are so many women who were known in their fields maybe, but not 
to the wider isn't that public. so interesting though that maybe some of the some of the more well known women had these crazy personal lives and that's what made them a bit more well known it's yeah. almost like I still feel like in this day and age women in the public eye like can't just be celebrated for what they're doing it has to be like digging into their personal yeah, life like, like oh a mother has become the head of the BBC with? or whatever yes, exactly <laughs> like a mother with her five children is now CEO it's like yeah. we don't need to know really about that but yeah so were you were you angry when you were writing this book Oh yeah, like constantly. Yeah. <laughs> but also so it's 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 a it's a very it's a weird combination of like sadness and like learning the details of the ways that women were screwed over by their contemporaries and men taking credit for the work, especially in the scientific fields. I mean all over the place. Mm. And then and then also being so grateful to have now learned a little about them, grateful to whatever academic has devoted their lives to being the authority on these women. Mm. And I was reading like random people's PhDs, like not even like, wow, yeah. I was just going all over the place, getting information where I could. Some way more, some I would read a whole biography and then others there was like so little that I just found like an article or two to read and to write about it. So there's definitely varying amounts of research into, into each woman. Um, what sort of audiences as well are you excited about reading it? Because I feel like um, obviously it's not necessarily for like a younger necessarily audience for all ages, but I can imagine in schools and universities and stuff books like this are really useful i hope so i i keep some people on twitter are saying oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna buy this for my 11 year old daughter and i'm gonna like oh skip the chapter about um nell gwyn who i like celebrate as a great hoe of history and who was a sort of slutty in a fun way actress in the yeah, reformation you could do, period like, the, the abridged version <laughs> I, for that. you know what i should i should do the like school library friendly mm. but that said it's kind of it's always more fun to learn from things that you might like not supposed to be yeah. reading and yeah. I know and because there's so many books that are about uh that I read that are about women in history and they're often written like no like so because there's so I, I feel it too this like urge to give little girls this knowledge and these role models and these examples um but they're often written like therefore like for for kids or yeah. for or I've got so one really... at the moment that's like um women in space oh, um yeah. but it's yeah. it's definitely kind of more visually led yeah and for like a younger a younger audience but it's still still good I think to be like look lots and lots of women doing things in space this is what um my brother tells his daughter my niece that she can do whatever she wants in life and they'll be so proud but they'll be most proud if she goes to space (laughs) she's three we like your dress but like go to space (laughs) go to space like you you're very talented but if you went to space would be so proud of you so um i will look up that book for sure (laughs) it's really difficult i have a niece and i i sometimes find myself like saying the whole like you look really pretty and then i'm like you you need you know i buy her books and stuff like i (laughs) but it's 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 so hard to break out that socialization it really is because she likes those things she likes of course like where i like pink it's okay (laughs) but the the day after my niece was born i went to like a kid's clothing store like i'm gonna go buy the kids for little baby niece (laughs) and the like division in any store like that is so i've never like been so hit in the face by gender (laughs) it's like going to the store this half is pink and this half is blue and like the The boys boys clothes are like future engineer future world series champ future (laughs) astronaut and the girls ones are like daddy's little slut it's like so (laughs) terrible and i'm just like oh my god and i was like so 
like, and I, I went for something <gasps> oh that was like God. green and had dinosaurs on it, I think, in the end. Also, because her cry sounded a lot like a dinosaur like roar, <laughs> so I was like, that that fits, that fits. But like, there is a lot to be. It it, it was such a like, oh, it starts so early. Mm. Like your understanding of yourself, the kind of praise that you get for what, the way that random strangers mm. in the street are like, what do you do? And it's all like nice, and it's all good in the heart, but we're just very stuck in the yeah in the system and need to destroy gender yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of work what do. a relief <laughs> um but in your um job at the washington post um do you find that it's kind of quite an intense industry at the moment or do you find like it's exciting or, do, or how do you feel about working like in the news in in some way it's definitely it was a big draw of going to the washington post because i was like i want to be there because it's such a crazy hopefully once in a lifetime sort of time in our lives right now. And I've always been very interested in, in politics and kind of wanted to live in, in DC. And uh, earlier this week when um, Mueller started handing down indictments, I saw someone run across the newsroom for the first time. And I was just like, yeah, that's wow. what I came for. Like you're in it. Run the news. Yeah. <laughs> that said, my team, I'm on what's called the creative video team um, run by a cool, badass lady called Michelle Giacconi who has hired a sort of scripted comedy team and a team of on-air hosts. Who, so um, fun. So I am someone who just gets to be on camera talking about pop culture stuff. Got to interview Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, my God. He was very nice. Oh. Um, and mysterious and sort of like, <laughs> yeah, um, which was fun. And people who have watched that interview understand that he's now in love with me. So <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Jake, Jake, you're there. <laughs> Jake, I'm the creepy I know, girl. I know you're listening. <laughs> who interviewed you in D.C. But anyway, so my job is also... Um, can be in reaction to funny things that are happening in the news, but is also kind of, we have a really nice space, brand new team. We're building up our video section. Um, and really do you nice manage to switch off in some way from it all? I always ask people this because I feel like when your job is the internet, it's like, when do you get your head back? Which is yeah. kind of why writing books is great too, I guess. Because you're like, guess. you lose yeah, your I'm, mind yeah. in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm escaping into the depths of my mind, but at least I don't have to go on Twitter like yeah. all day. Totally. It, um, it's kind of strange and it's very weird whenever you sort of like, I'm home from work. I'm going to just lie down for a second. And then you've and then four hours have passed. You've just been staring at your phone. Why does time go so quickly? It's very strange. And I love, I love Twitter and I, and I enjoy reading my friends funny tweets on there, but um, no, I'm pretty, I'm also pretty good at like, um, since I I'm new to the East coast, I've been like renting cars and going camping Mm. and wholesome crap like that. So I feel like yeah. there's there's we're going like full circle a little bit with I feel like it's it's way cooler now to not go on as much yeah but it's it's hard a lot of people are like oh, taking a break from Twitter like, literally, <laughs> a lot of my friends have taken a month off yeah it makes I, sense and when you are being the only time I really had to take a break was when it was like someone telling me to like kill myself every two seconds mm-hmm. I'm like I need to look at this for 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 two days um, um, in fact. Here's a rejected idea I had inspired by that experience that BuzzFeed wasn't up for. Was um, obviously there's a lot of Disney princess content on BuzzFeed, very popular. People oh, love what it. like Disney princesses with tattoos and Disney princesses? Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. like the best one being um, if Disney princesses were a lukewarm bowl of water. Someone had done. I forget. I think it was on a community page. But I was like, can I do if Disney princess if Disney princesses said the things that men have said to me on Twitter? And it was so it was just like Snow White being like, you fucking whore, <laughs> like, and put them in like little speech bubbles, and they're like, um, <laughs> I think we'll pass on this one. 
like I, I kind of love that. That <laughs> maybe I'll tweet those. Yeah, if I yeah. get if I get interviews for this book, I'll do that. But yeah. it is it's always fun in a contrast. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> Just lastly, I wanted to ask you uh, what your plans are for kind of promoting it and stuff and in America and just like what you've got coming up for the next few months basically what you're excited about I'm excited about this new job and us figuring out on my team what we're doing (laughs) um and we're all kind of like working on little series that we want to either promote on washingtonpost.com or elsewhere and so I might get to have some kind of show but I don't know yet so I can't say more um I'm excited to go back to California for Christmas because <laughs> I haven't been there in a while. Nice. So I'm going to have my first snowy winter because I never really had snow in the time I lived in the UK, but yeah. I just thought like, I know be Christmas, a it feels wrong to be like sunbathing for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. My parents are definitely always really smug about it and put on Facebook that they're like having a sunny Christmas for their, for the benefit well, of they, their they, British those, relatives. Those people who are like, my office for the day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And Love yeah, that. um, that's that's them, and also me. And that was a fun part about writing the book was being able to move around and getting to stay in different friends' houses and kind of move around and be in the countryside. And that mm. was a good way to get away from the yeah the chaos and horribleness of the news. Mm. The news can't follow you into <laughs> rural Sussex. <laughs> the well, internet's yeah, you... too bad. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That was really great. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. If you're listening, go and get your copy. And well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.